in way of transition, I'm going to introduce our guest preacher this morning. It just so happened that in July of 2017, if I'm remembering correctly, I was walking through, I was at a conference in Orlando, and I was walking through the lobby, and I see Adrian. We're in Starbucks. I sit down. We're chatting a little bit, and you ask me, is there anything I can do to serve you or something like that? You're very direct. Is there anything I can do for you? And, and this is the kind of question like you should have an immediate answer for. And I said, yes, two things. Number one, uh, we're, we're a young church plant. Money would be great if you've got any. I literally just asked him on the spot. Money would be awesome. Secondly, um, would you come and like minister to us and, and preach at our church in Portland sometime? And he said, tell you what, I will come and I will cover all of my own expenses. I'll fly myself out, I'll hotel, car, all that. So I got the whole package and now Adrian's here. So he's came to bless us. He's come here to bless us, guys. So yeah, we can clap for that. There it is. So... Guys, Adrian Crawford, uh, he, he pastors a church called Engage in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, if you've been around for a little while, you'll know that I'm like not a sports guy, even close. But apparently in the sports world, basketball specifically, Adrian was like kind of a big deal back in the day. Um, he played professional basketball in Spain for a while. Um, I, he, he was kind of some sort of star, I think, at, at Florida State University. Is that correct? Kind of, Yeah. <laughs> I've done my, I've Googled, I know what's going on. So yeah, he did that, and then he planted a church in Tallahassee called Engage. And um, guys, he's, he's just one of these very entre, entrepreneurial sorts of guys. He's just, he kind of, he shows up, he's full of life and energy, loves Jesus, loves his family, and is just a real blessing to the family of God. So very honored to have him. Adrian, come on, come on up. I got it. There we go. Grace City, Portland. What's up? You guys good today? Yeah. Awesome. Glad to be here with you guys. I bring greetings from the South. How does this thing work? All right. It's not starting off. Oh. And there it is. <laughs> Never mind. There we go. We'll transition that. All right. So here we go. So I'm going to be buying you a new music stand. Here we go. <laughs> Well, I am glad to be here with you. Um, as Simon said, that I um, a pastor church called Engaged Church, but more importantly, I have been married for 16 years uh, to love my wife named Wendy. She's awesome. Um, and we have three incredible children, Jalen, who's 13, Brooklyn, who is 10, and Peyton, who is 7. Um, both me and my wife um, are entrepreneurs. My, um, I started a business that, um, about 10 years ago that I just sold three months ago. And my wife started a business, a dance studio, because she, she traveled the world and danced. And so she decided to start a dance studio in the midst of us planning a church because we're suicidal and we have nothing else better to do with our time. And so she decided to do it. She started with five families that has grown over the last five years, like 350 families and all these things. And so I am officially a dance dad. And so I, I mean, legit dance. I'm a dance snob. I go watch dance. I'm like, that's awful. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. And so that is me. Um, and so, yeah, we did that and we planted a church um, five years ago. 
um, called Engage, and it's been amazing to watch what God has done. Um, I, I guess you can see I'm a black man in the South, right? And so I'm a black man in the South with a church that's 60% white, 35% black, 5% other ethnicities. I've got people in my church who want to make America great again. I've got people in my church who want to feel the burn. I've got blue lives, black lives, and my job is just to make sure everybody does not kill each other in the process. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, and, but it's really a beautiful thing because when people walk into our church environment, what they begin to realize and what they experience, and it's really the hand of God, is they actually come in and what do we talk about in our church, we don't, on the idea of race and reconciliation and people walking together, it's not theory for us. It's not an idea for us. It's reality for us. It's actually real life. And so you have people in our church who literally all day watch like Fox News, okay, and there's scrolls all day long. And then you've got these young, like really militant, I'm talking really militant young black kids who are in our church. And you know what? They go to each other's houses and they like build life together and they, and they communicate and they talk talk and you know what they have their different views but they love each other because I tell people all the time we major in our church on Jesus and that is it and if you break relationship based off your political view then actually that is your God and Jesus isn't if you're willing to break relationship based off of that so I'm sorry if I've offended you already okay but I'm going to do it a lot more let me tell you it's 2018 being black is kind of awesome and here's the reason why is because you know what I can offend everybody all right I'm an equal opportunity offender black people white people anybody I just offend people sometimes so I'm going to offend you probably at some point today and I apologize before we get started, all right? And so I'm excited, but here's the reason why I'm excited, because I truly believe this. Every time the word of God is preached, every time the word of God is communicated, I truly believe life change happens. Not because it's with the words of a man, but I believe a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, than here, that God's presence is here. So I believe there's two or three of us, at least in here, and we actually believe in Jesus, right? There's two or three, and we actually believe in Jesus. So here's the thing. So God's presence is here. And so when God's presence is here, it has nothing to do with what I will say and how I will communicate. I hope to be biblically faithful. I hope to be able to, to, uh, to articulate the gospel. I hope to, uh, to push us forward uh, toward Jesus. But more than anything else, God is going to move in this moment strictly because of this, because he just wants to do it, and he loves us so much that he wants to show up. So I believe for some of you, the trajectory of your life will change in this moment today, not because of the words, all right? You're going to see. I mean, I went to a really bad public school, so I'm not that smart, okay? So you're going to see today that you're going to see God do some amazing things. But here's what it comes down to. Can we have faith today to believe we're going to hear from God? Can we do that today? We're good? All right, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for what you're going to do in this moment, God. God, we are believing. We are believing today God, for you to speak to us, for you to give us insight, for you to give us revelation, Lord Jesus. But I pray more than anything else that you, Jesus, would be the star of this show. We give you all the praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I'm going to talk to you guys today about this concept of actual reality. There we go. Of actual reality. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard of augmented reality? Wave your hands if you've ever heard of anything about AR, okay? What augmented reality is simply this. Maybe we've heard of virtual reality. Um, again, virtual reality is kind of just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's graphics, it's images, it's thing. It's a different type of world. It's a different reality. The world is going there, okay? And so some of us don't like that. We're like, it's going crazy. The world's going there. We're already there, okay? And so, but actual, but augmented reality is even freakier than actual virtual reality. I have a friend of mine who, um, the first business I had, I did basketball skill training. I trained kids from five years up to pro athletes, okay? And we have a few different locations 
because I just was able to sell it. Well, one of my first clients was a, was a young man, and um, he ended up going to, he played basketball, and, and then after that, he didn't continue, but he ended up going to Duke, and he went to Duke, and then he came, out to, he came out here to the West Coast to work for Google. So now he works on the lead team for augmented reality for Google. And so we were together because he's getting married soon. And so we were at his kind of like his engagement thing, and, and we're talking, and so he begins to talk to me about AR. And so he starts to talk to me about this, and it freaked me out, right? Because he starts talking to me. He's like, yeah, this is what augmented reality is. It's this fact that like it's an overlay. So it's kind of like real reality, but it's a digital overlay of other things. So if you ever watch football, you know, the little yellow line that you see where first downs are at, or you see the Super Bowl mark from the past Super Bowl, like, you know, see it? That's AR. That's augmented reality. And so here's what he says. He's saying, now there's these things, you know, Google has it. It's Google Glass. And so, you know, you can wear Google Glass. You can put them on. And so here's how crazy it is. So I can be with Simon. I could look at Simon. And if I walk up and have my Google Glass on, I can see Simon. And here's what it'll say. It'll pop up saying, Simon, and it says, you know, it can literally say, you know, he's the pastor of Grace City, Portland. Uh, me and Simon have 35 mutual friends. Here's this, this, and this. I actually, it's getting to a point where it literally it would say, oh man, I owe Simon, like, so let's say a reminder that I owe Simon money. I literally could press, like, so I broke his stand. And so I broke his stand. And Simon's like, yo, man, you owe me like 50 bucks. And you literally can press like this in augmented reality, and it will pay Simon. That, that technology already exists. He's telling me this, and I'm like, yo, fam, like, yo, we're dying. Like, it's over. Like, I don't understand the book of Revelations fully, but like, it's got to do with this, or we're all going to die at some point. <laughs> and so he's talking to me about this. So I'm driving back, and, and so I find myself always in these environments. Again, I have a, such a diverse life. So we were at this, we were at his father's, his, uh, we were at his stepfather's um, property that he owned. Now, again, his stepfather, very wealthy man, has a property, literally, it's 20,000 acres that he bought from an old paper company, okay? And so here's the thing. I'm always in environments where sometimes I'm just the only black dude there, but it kind of freaks you out a little bit when, like, I'm in the middle of an old plantation being the only black dude there. I'm like, yo, this is a little bit like get out. So I was like, if they start auctioning, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It may be over. And so anyway, I'm driving back from this thing. Luckily, this will be a and so I'm driving back into Tallahassee. As I'm driving back to Tallahassee, I begin to think about this idea of augmented reality and this thought of faith. Because the augmented reality is a lot like faith a little bit. It's because see, when you think of faith, see, it, faith does not negate reality. But when we begin as Jesus followers to look at something, we should be like how Google Glass we view through a different lens. It does not deny reality, but there's an overlay. There's an overlay of how we see things. Though it may seem like it's dire straight financially, or that, man, I don't know how we're going to make it. When you begin to see through the eyes of faith, the overlay is this. You begin to realize that it says that God is Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. We begin to look in a different manner. And I actually believe this for you guys as a church as you're taking that next step, is that for you to be all that God has graced and called you to be, to make the impact God has called you to do in this city, for this to happen in your life and in your marriages and your families and your work and your career and all those things, you must be willing to begin to see life in these eyes of faith because faith does not deny reality. Sometimes in this, sometimes we get in real charismatic, crazy world where we'll just say, oh man, my knee, no, it doesn't hurt, it doesn't hurt. It does not hurt. My knee doesn't hurt. It doesn't exist. No, it's not the matrix. It actually really does hurt, okay? And so here's what it does, though. It does not deny the fact of the pain that you're in, but it begins to allow you to see in a different way with a greater sense of hope and purpose. We see differently. And we're going to read today in my favorite book of the entire Bible, 
of a man who had to see with the eyes of faith, and it's the man Nehemiah. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. If you do not, it'll pop up on the big Bible right over here uh, to the left of me. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, because I believe this is a translation that Jesus used. All right, here we go. So I arrived in Jerusalem. There we go. This is a smart group. Sometimes I say that, like, if people are like, like, 10 seconds, like, delay. I'm like, there we go. You guys are smart. That's why this church is growing. Here we go. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the night and taken only a few others with me. I had not, I not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except for the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate and passed the jackal's well. And over to the dun gate to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went to the Kindred Valley, instead inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, or the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about the gracious hand of God that had been on me and about my conversation with the king. Then he replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding the wall, but you have no share, legal rights, or historic claim in Jerusalem. This is God's word for his people. So where we pick up is this story of this man named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was a man who was not born in Jerusalem. He was not born in Jerusalem. He was actually born into slavery. Nehemiah served as the cupbearer to a king. And so he served as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And so what happens in the story of Nehemiah is this is Nehemiah chapter when the book of Nehemiah is really Nehemiah's journal. That's what we're reading. And so Nehemiah has this crazy experience. It's that all of a sudden friends and people he knew from Jerusalem came back and they begin to tell him about what was happening in the city, that the walls had been torn and been burned down. Now, why that was so significant was simply this is because walls signified strength and security. Also, there was an economic collapse that people were living in such poverty in Jerusalem that they were selling family members off into slavery just to pay debt. It was an absolute crash of the market. And so things were bad in Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing about Nehemiah, because what we know or what we can put together from commentators is that Nehemiah never visited Jerusalem. He had never been to Jerusalem up until that point in time. But something happened to Nehemiah in chapter one as he hears this news and his heart breaks. He begins to weep and to cry. So much so that it says, when you read it, it says for, it says that he weeped and cried and he weeped and cried for three months. He weeped, cried and fasted. Now, I don't know if you like fasting, right? We just did a fast. I don't like the fast at all. Okay. But a brother fasted for three months. That means it's a lot, right? That means something deep is going on when you fast for three months. I mean, after three days, I would sell one of my children, right? For like a cheeseburger. And so he goes for three 
months. He's there and he's weeping and he's fasting and he's crying out. And the story goes on that then he goes to the king and here's what he does, that God begins to speak to him. God begins to give him a plan during that time that he goes to a king and here's what he does. He asks the king to change his entire foreign policy. It is the equivalent of one of us going to, our, going to President Trump and saying, hey, our foreign policy right now um, and how we deal with terrorists and things like that, I want you to change it. Here's the plan. And him looking at you and says, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea and changing it. And matter of fact, you tell him, but hey, I'm going to go there, but I need for you to pay for me to go there. I need you to pay my salary for the next five years as well. And also, I'm going to need some materials, and I need for you to pay for that as well too. And the king was said, okay. Now again, Nehemiah, when he does this, it was kind of a scary moment because he shows up to the king and he's telling the king to change your foreign policy because why the kings would always allow the walls to be torn down is because they felt that when they would build the walls back up, the people would begin to rebel to want to take their land back over. And so there was something about Nehemiah and it was the hand of God that was upon his life. And so the story goes that Nehemiah shows up and he comes back into Jerusalem. And the story that we picked up was this, is that Nehemiah goes and he begins to inspect the wall. And he begins to go inspect this wall, and it's an absolute ruin, as we heard. That all the places around the wall is an absolute ruin. But what's amazing is this, is that Nehemiah shows up, and his heart begins to change as he's examined. He's seeing absolute destruction of people. He's seeing absolute destruction. But what we just read was this, is that we begin to see a man as he inspects, he begins to now speak faith to a people. The reality was that they were in absolute dire straits. There was financial ruin. There was safety that were issues. People were in slavery. And here's what Nehemiah begins to speak. He begins to speak faith over people. He says, we are going to rebuild this wall. Let us do this. And here's what's amazing. Nehemiah had never come from Jerusalem. Nehemiah was living in the comfort of running around with the king. He's this cupbearer. He was at the king's summer home in Susa. So Nehemiah gets a heart of God. And whenever you get a heart of God, many times God is going to take you to a place of discomfort. He's going to call you to sacrifice some things. And Nehemiah was willing to go. And when he shows up, he was not the reason why the walls were torn down. It were the people that were living there before. But what he realized was the sin of the people. The sin that had happened for years and years of them disobeying God that led them to the place of being taken into captivity. And Nehemiah all of a sudden begins to get a heart of God because his language changes. He begins to say, let us, we, we rebuild this wall. When you begin to have eyes of faith, you don't begin to look at problems and say, they do this. You begin to now look in such a way where the problem becomes your problem. That you begin to have a heart. It doesn't become, oh, well, hey, here at Grace City, man, we really need to figure out, man. So we need to get some coffee, which the coffee's awesome here, by the way. But, I mean, the coffee needs to get a little better. I mean, Pastor Simon, can you please get the coffee better? I, mean, sh- I can't believe it, man. Just go to Starbucks, man, or go to Dutch Brothers or something. I don't know, man. Go to Dutch Bros. I mean, do something. We need iced coffee in here. And so here's what happened. When you begin to get the eyes of faith for a place, you don't begin to say, Pastor Simon, you should do it. No, 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 no. I'll do it. It begins to change the way you think. So how do we begin to have eyes of faith? How do we do this? Because guys, this is really hard for me. Because when I decided to plant a church in a city where people say you can't do this, that I felt that God was saying, I want you to build a diverse people group. And again, we're not all, we all are, we watch the news. This isn't like the greatest time ever for like people like coming together. My father, who I deeply love, who uh, he's, he's in his 60s, he came to Jesus 
probably about three or four years ago, he looked at me and he's like, son, like, do you like pain? And I was like, dad, why? He's like, you are starting to plant a church, a diverse church in this time. You must like pain. And I'll never forget looking at him and saying, he's like, do you not see the hill you're about to climb? And, I, and this just came out of me. I was like, dad, yeah, I see the hill, but, but I see Jesus at the top of the hill and he's going to do what he wants to do. And so I'm in the city right now to where when I walk into places, people look at me and, and again, they have these certain thoughts because we live in the world. I mean, I still live in the South and there are some, there are divisions that are there in the city that I live in. The, the town that I live in has the greatest wealth gap, wealth gap of any place, any county. Leon County has the greatest wealth gap of any place in North America. And so I'm living in this city with this incredible wealth gap. I'm living in a city that's so divided racially at times. And God's saying, plant a diverse church. Go ahead and do it. And as well as you're playing, I want you to kind of do it a little bit unique. And here's what happened. I begin to say, God, why do you want to do this? Because left inside to me, I see the hurt. I see the pain. I see the injustice at times in this world. How do I begin to do this? Because again, I'm the guy who has to talk to his 13-year-old son about when, listen, that we love and we respect. And there are and there are so many incredible police officers in the world, but I want you to know this, son. You don't live in utopian world, but when you are ever stopped, here's how you respond. You don't get a bad day, and that is reality of my life. And that does not mean that I am not for police officers or I'm not for all these things, but here's what it means. It means I have to deal with that. So how do I do that? How do I do that when someone, once I say that or once I write about that, that I've had multiple people come up to me and leave my church saying that you don't care about police, you don't care about uh, those men who risk their lives, that you actually are building fear inside of your son's life and you are wrong for that and we're not going to be here because you're a racist for doing that. Sometimes people are really reckless. And sometimes there's those moments where I look at them like, you do realize I'm a 6'5", like pretty big black dude, right? <laughs> Like, I could go back to Old Testament, lay hands on you. You know, not the other way. But I don't. But here's what I've realized is this. He said, I begin to believe and look and realize this idea that when we pray on earth as is in heaven, that on this time on earth, no matter what pain it actually brings me, my job is to bring with the people God's brought us a taste of heaven, of what heaven actually will look like. That when a world is so divided right now, when they walk into our church space, they can actually say, this just feels right. How are they getting along? How are you walking together? I don't understand this. And all we can ever do is point to Jesus because I'm not talented enough to do this. But it's a taste of heaven. And here's what I want you to understand is that if you are in this city, it is just not for you to gather and just for Pastor Simon to just take this word and, and just give it to you like he's, a, like he's like one of those chefs that like, you know, at Kobe Steakhouse or whatever, mixing it up and flipping it up, you know, and he's making the, the scripture volcano and just to entertain you. But he's actually here to challenge you and to teach the word so that we can be a people group who build and bless this city of Portland where people can come in and they can say, I don't understand this and it's divided. I feel tension out in the world. I mean, at times I feel oppressed, but when I walk in with these people, it just feels right. See, that's is the Bible. And I want you guys to understand that it's going to cost you everything. See, nobody wants to hear that. Everybody wants your best life now. John the Baptist's best life now was what? Being beheaded. Jesus' best life now 
suffering and being crucified on the cross left with nothing. We've mailed down Christianity today. It's just about how I feel and what's in it for me. But Christianity is not about that. The gospel has everything to do with you and nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with you that Jesus died on the cross, but it has nothing to do with you. Because once you come into the kingdom of God and his family, the heart of the gospel is to go serve and to give and to begin to believe. And we are living in times where we need the people of God to begin to see with the eyes of faith that we are in times. I believe it's the greatest time in the world to be alive. Why? Because it's the time that God has given us. It's the greatest time for us to be alive. And so I don't live and we should not live in this place of fear and backing up. But it's actually these moments where God moves. I think of the story of Daniel in scripture. It's always in moments when we are the creative minority, when we're not the majority, that God actually moves. When his people are pressed in, it's always when he begins to move. We pray and we believe and we say, God, bring revival. Normally when he brings revival, it's always an impression or something that pushes against us that forces us to do it. So as the world's being separated right now, will the people of God actually be a place where you can walk in and be like, I want to be around these people. And so I can't tell you how many people have come to faith because they've come to argue with me about the issues of race. And here's what I do. I listen to them. I had a gentleman look across the table at me one time. And this is a real story. Yeah, Trayvon Martin, he 100% deserved to die. Okay. I said, well, tell me why. And and he begins unpacking. And he begins to tell me his side. And so we kind of go. I don't freak out. I didn't reach across the the, the table and want to choke him. I didn't do it. Though maybe in my imagination I did, you know. (laughs) Like a Tarantino movie. You know, I had this whole scene that took place. (laughs) But here's what's interesting. This young man, not a Jesus follower at all, calls him like a week or two later. He says, hey, thank you. He's like, you helped me see some things. I know that we may not see eye to eye, but you're the first person who doesn't look like me that I could actually have a real conversation with about how I felt. And you didn't like get mad and frustrated or want to walk away and didn't hear me. You still came in the next day and you saw me, da, da, da. And now here's what's amazing about this young man. This young man who was low-key real racist, right? Now is a basketball coach at, a, at an HBCU. Historically black college. And every time he talks, so now it's, it's unbelievable. Every time he like sends me snaps and things like that, he's around all these black people. And I just like, I'm always like laughing. I'm like, dude, I'm like, you are steeped in black coats. Like you're like, you're blacker than I am right now with what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, my man's are like, I mean, like my man's, I'm surprised he went at the Black Panther with like straight, like, you know, with head wraps and the whole nine, right? And so, but here's the reason why I say that. It was a willingness to allow someone who was on opposing sides, for me to let them say what they say, to come over just a little bit. Because as Pastor Rick Warren says, my enemies will never come to know Jesus, only my friends. And the way that you do that is sometimes you gotta give. But then sometimes you have to stand for truth. So how do we really do this? The biggest thing is this, you have to begin to view things through the word of God. How do we begin to see in faith? It's through the word of God. See, I love the Bible. And see, this is what Nehemiah had, because Nehemiah understood this. He understood in the context of what was happening, the promise that God had given Jerusalem hundreds of years prior to a man by the name of Abraham, that he said, I'm going to make them into a great nation. 
And he begins to lay out this whole thing that they're going to be this great nation. And then he gives these things to this guy by the name of Moses. And he says, listen, they may go a little bit sideways at times, but when they humble themselves and repent, I'm going to come and I'm going to restore their land. So Nehemiah understood the word and that is what defined his reality. The reality of what God spoke to him defined his reality. No, the fact that he had these walls that were torn down and not enough people, not skilled builders, but he was willing to trust God and he, what defined his theology was not reality, but reality was defined by his theology. And some of us in this room, reality begins to define your theology. So our views right now on this issue of sexuality in the world, here's the thing, reality, the world's pushing in. So here's the question, when you allow society and culture to define your theology, or will you allow the word of God, this theology to define your reality? We see it with Jesus walking with his disciples and they're crossing over this lake. Here's a story in Mark chapter four. They're crossing over this water, body of water. And I talked a little bit at the conference about this. And so you ever had this moment where, you know, Jesus or, or the pastor preaches like right now, like I'm preaching, right? And you're like, like super excited. You're like, oh my gosh, like this is great. We're going to go change the world, right? I mean, we're going out there. We're going to hell with water pistols. We're going to change it. We're getting after it. And so here's what happens. We have these moments. And then here's what you do is that we're going to walk out the door and we're going to have to face reality. Or that coworker you don't like. That you're like, gosh, I really don't want them to ever get saved. <laughs> the fact that I got to spend eternity with them, God, that'd be awful. That person. See, because it's easy in these moments to get excited about Jesus. It's a whole different thing when you leave the mountaintop to go walk into the valley and deal with reality of it. So here's what happens when Jesus and his disciples, why the word of God should define us. It's all of a sudden he was teaching them in faith and then they were going to the other side. And so they're going to the other side and they're just talking on faith and they're super excited. Oh my gosh, God is moving. It's great. Jesus is teaching on faith. Man, we can take a mountain, throw it in the water. Yes, we can do that. I don't know how it's going to work, but we can do that. And so it's the size of mustard seed. That's small. I can't have that much faith. And so they believe that. And then God says, we're going to go to the other side. So they go to the other side and what happens? The storm breaks out in the middle of this and this going across. And so they're going across and then they all freak out. And here's what they say when they're freaking out. They say, do you not care that we are perishing because here's what happens in the moments of crisis in the moments of circumstance in the moments of pressure in the moments of sickness in the moments of that person that family member that spouse leaving us here's what we begin to do we allow our circumstances to define who God is and see here's why I love the word of God because it does not change based off of your circumstances or your feelings it does not change based off of that because some of you guys know our feelings change all the time you woke up this morning and your feelings have probably changed 40 times before you got to church. If you're a parent, it for sure happened. <laughs> you get ready, oh my gosh, we're so excited to hear the word. It's gonna be great today, we're going to church. And then one of the kids pukes on something, you're like, God, why have you forsaken me? You're not good. Like, I mean, so listen, like, I mean, it's real life, right? So here's how it begins to define your reality. So you have that going on. And so here's what we do is that now as they're going to the other side, they begin to question God. And here's what Jesus, Jesus gets up and he says, oh, you of little faith. And here's what he does. He begins to calm the wind and the waves of the sea and they freak out. So like, who is this man that he has such authority over nature? Because only the gods had that. And they were like, this man's powerful. And see, it's only that part of that story. You can go read it later. It says other boats are with him. Understand this. In the midst of your crisis and circumstance, in the midst of when the world's going crazy, in the midst of your hardship, there are always other boats watching how you respond. Because you say you have Jesus in your boat. And can you imagine if you were the other boats? You're looking at them like, why are y'all freaking out? That brother over here like feeding people, 
healing people. I got Rick on the boat. I know Rick ain't living right. I know Rick going to hell. We gonna die. Y'all not dying yet. Y'all got Jesus. See, let me tell you this. In your life right now, why it's important is because Christianity, what makes it different is in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship. Here's what we believe, that all things work together for those who love him and been called according to his purpose. So when you suffer, please suffer well. It does not mean reality that you don't feel pain. It does not mean that you don't vent, that you don't lament before God. We have forgotten to lament before God, to cry out to God. Do you only know that 4%, I think it's 4% of songs sung today are songs of lament? Where we cry out, there's a whole book on it, so it should matter, right? But when's the last time? So I'm not saying you don't deal in reality, you don't cry, you don't weep, you don't get honest before God, but in the midst of that, we don't quit on our faith. We stand strong because it's in those moments that people are looking at your life and they say there's something different about you. See, we all want to be witnesses of Jesus, but we don't want to go through what it takes to be a witness for Jesus. We all want to have the I have a dream speech, but nobody wants the dogs in the jail and dying for it. Everybody wants to live. Everybody wants to be a revolutionary. Very few live like them. So what do we do? So what do we do? We have to allow the word of God to define us. We have to let it work. I love, if we pull up 2 Corinthians really fast. I think we have that scripture. 2 Corinthians simply says this. So we do not look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Paul is writing this, and then again in 2 Corinthians, it's all about this context of suffering and hardship. And he said, so we do not look at the troubles we can now see. And what he's saying is not to deal with our reality, he said, but fix our gaze. And what is he saying, fix our gaze? That we fix our, thing, our gaze on things that cannot be seen. We fix our gaze on things above. We fix our gaze on Jesus. We put those glasses on, and though hardship is there, though you're in the midst of potentially someone walking out, you're in a place of financially some hardship, you're in a place of of sickness where you don't know if healing's coming. All those things that you begin to see with the eyes of Jesus. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that on this side of eternity that you'll be healed, but what I do know is this, that you will be healed at some point in time. At the fact of the matter that when my mom unexpectedly died seven years ago, here's what I realized. I was sitting there praying, and I will never forget this moment, praying and believing Jesus, and I had to fly back to Tallahassee for something, and then she had another brain aneurysm, and at the time that she's dying, I am worshiping Jesus, and the song that I am singing is that he gives and he takes away, but I will choose to say, oh, blessed be his name. At the time that my mom passes away, and I'm sitting on the front, and this is happening, and I finally get the text message, as I'm weeping and crying, realizing this, that it's not the end of the story. She didn't experience healing on this side, but she stands in the presence of Jesus, fully healed and restored, and I will see her again. And so that's where our hope, that's where my hope is at. Guys, we have to begin to see through the word of God to define us. And here's the other thing, too, is you have to remember. You have to remember. See, remembrance is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Some of you, you need to begin to write down, when's the last time God showed up in your life? Because we're so quick to forget, right? I mean, God will literally do a miracle in your life. And two days later, we like the disciples. You've forsaken me. You hate me, Jesus. This happened to me in two different ways. One... It happened to me when I was 
the kind of this is a short the story is kind of crazy that I have a house and in the back of a house I have a 7,200 square foot indoor gym the business I had was doing basketball skill training now it's a miracle how I got this place I literally had somebody hand me a check for $50,000 with no strings attached say here you go literally that's what happened I'm not like this is no like literally 50 grand you've impacted my son's life so much and I'm so thankful for what you did our city needs more of this of what you're doing now again I wasn't preaching in there I was just running a really good business and here's the go I want you to do this cool I'll take that right <laughs> and so here's what happens and so there were some things that happened that we were that we're going through and then you know just like anybody in life you know when you run a business there's waves there's ups and downs and there's moments where like you got payrolls ready to go and there's those moments where you're crying out to God because you don't know how you're gonna pay people like that just happens and so all of a sudden I was in one of those moments and so I'm walking in this gym I am pacing in this gym and I'm crying out to God I am crying out saying, God, I can't believe this. You, what, God, what is going on? Why are we doing this? God, we have been doing everything. You know, I start going through my whole, I literally, I'm going through my resume to God of what I've been doing. God, I've been faithful to serve you. God, I've been faithful to take a stand for you. God, man, when people persecute me, man, I remember yesterday, that guy said he cut me off in traffic and God, I didn't cuss him out. I mean, that's a win, right? Jesus, that's my sacrifice to you. All these things are going on. So I'm reading off all of my things that I'm doing for Jesus. I'm saying, why are you forsaking me? Why are you forsaking me. You don't care for me. This is real things in my mouth. God, why don't you love me? And here's what popped in my brain by the Holy Spirit. And again, in God, in his loving, gentle way, he's like, Adrian, you were literally standing in a miracle and you're questioning my goodness. You ever have one of those moments you're like, oh. (laughs) Because it's so easy for us to forget the goodness of God. Let me tell you this. If you're in this room right now, God's good to you. He really is. I know it's hard. I don't want to stand up here and say, man, it's not hard. I know it's hard. I know right now in your marriage, it's hard. I know dealing with things in your kids, with your kids in their lives right now, it's hard. I know right now, man, you don't know what your next step's going to be in life, and there's a lot of anxiety in that. I know it's hard, but I want you to know simply this, is that God is still really good. And he's really good regardless of the circumstances of your life. He's good because that's what the word says he is. He's just good. But let me tell you this. I guarantee if you begin to remember in your life when God has shown up in your life, you will begin to remember, oh, man, he's really, really good. Guys, we must do this. We must see through the word of God. That's why it's important for you to read your Bible. That's why it's important for you to go to these, the Alpha class or get into uh, the small groups that you have in this church to get into community. Why? Because the word of God is what should define our lives but it's super important that you remember it. Journal, write it down, talk about it, document when God shows up so when those moments happen, you can always go back to it. You guys go ahead and come up here if you wanna, somebody wants to play because again, this is like the Holy Spirit falls and somebody starts playing the keys, okay? I'm there, but so here's what happens in this moment. And so here's what I'm gonna say and I'm gonna close on this story of actual reality. My son Jalen's 13 and, and again, it's like, you know, you, he is just literally, it's mini me and, um, and I love him to death. My son Jalen was born on the spectrum now, say he was born is that at 10 months, he was developing completely fine. And then all of a sudden, everything stopped. Like, he, started, he was having words. He was doing all this stuff. I mean, everything was kind of good. And at 10 months, everything stopped. He stopped talking. His motor skills began to decrease. Prior, almost a month before this happened, Pastor John Rohr, who some of you guys know, Pastor John was in town, 
and Pastor John came up to pray for Jalen and he had a word for Jalen. And the word that he had for Jalen was this, you're gonna be a great orator, a great communicator. You'll take difficult concepts and break them down very simply. Now at that point in time, I was like, that's great. At that point in time, he was developing, he's completely fine. I'm like, this is awesome. Then this time hits. And when this time hits, where all of a sudden he stops developing, me and Wendy were left with some real life choices because we didn't know what was going to happen. And all I had in that moment was the word that God spoke. And so I would take that word and I would pray and I would declare it over his life. At night when he would go to bed and he still was not talking, that's the word I would hold on to because God was gracious enough to give us that. And so I would hold on to it, I'd hold on to it, I'd hold on to it. Because here's the thing, we had to face reality that he was on the spectrum. But we had to view it through the lens of, of God and we and through the lens of Jesus. And we begin to now, as his moments were going on, we dealt with reality. My wife, who was, you know, traveling and dancing and doing those things, shut everything down in her life. And she would spend 30, like 30 to 40 hours a week specifically working with him. Because they said, you guys have a small window. That if you can start working with him right now, that God, that there's going to be some things that can actually happen in his development. So she shut everything down. We prayed and we believe. And so again, you know, if you're really a Bible believing person, you're like, man, I'm just gonna believe God's gonna pray. And then one day he's just gonna start talking and it's amazing. It's gonna be great. And here's the thing, he did not. And we're at age of three. And so we're still facing reality. So we're like, God, what do we do? We're praying for him. We want him to start talking. God, we need for him to start talking. God, I want to hear a word come out of my son's mouth. And here's what happens through a relationship. God connects us with this five, four Jewish lady named Miss Lori. And Miss Lori comes in and Miss Lori was a speech therapist. So here's what she did. She would put these gloves on her hand and Miss Lori would literally stick her fingers in her hand in Jalen's mouth because he had no tongue muscles and she would go and she would three days a week work with him, work with him, work with him. And I will never forget about six months into it, him starting to talk and saying his first words in those moments when this began to happen and it began to move and to change. And you know what? We had to face reality, but we always had faith that God wanted to do because he said this, that he's going to be a great orator and communicator. And so we held on to that word. And then we did practical things, but we still believe Jesus. Now my son's 13 years of age. He's super high functioning. And now he never shuts up, right? <laughs> he never shuts up. I, sometimes I look, I say, man, I long for the days of when you didn't talk. <laughs> but here's the thing about him. My son, IQ wise, is only two points above where kids will be in LD, but he's in a, very, he's in a super high academic school and he gets a 3.2, and here's why. He has to work seven days a week. He studies all the time. He has to work really hard at it, twice harder than anybody else. If you ever meet Jalen, here's the beauty of his life. He's never met a stranger. Every time I look at him, I get a glimpse of how Jesus sees us. Every person he meets, if he walked in this room, he would introduce himself and talk to all of you. He's, uh, he's not scared, he has no fear to come and introduce himself and to talk to you. And here's the thing, he believes the best in everyone. The most powerful part of his life is he loves the garbage trucks. Loves the garbage trucks and loves the garbage men. Do you know that the garbage men in our neighborhood have come to church, are connected, because when they show up every single day, he goes outside and he talks to them. He brings them things, he communicates with them. 
He makes them feel like they're human. He sees them. He sees these garbage men, the superheroes with capes on. And here's what it does. They don't find dignity, but my son is able to look at them and see who they are. There's dignity inside of them. And so I learned, and here's the thing. It was the word of God that allowed me to hold on and not stop believing for what God wanted to do through his life. So here's the question. Where do you need to hold on right now in your life? Where do you need to hold on right now in your life? Where do you need to begin to believe right now in your life? Where do you need to believe right now? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to pray. And here's what I do. If you're in this place right now and there's something you're really believing for. And when I say believing for something, I'm not talking about believing for something right now where you're like, hey, I I just hope we get a good parking spot when I go to brunch, right? I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying right now, you're believing you need Jesus to intervene in your life right now. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to close our eyes. And here's what I want you to do. If you, if that is you in this place, if you're willing to do that, I want you to stand, not to embarrass you, but to say, no, 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 God, I need you to move right now. And so I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes in this moment. And if that is you in this place, you're saying, I need God to show up. I need God to move. I need God to change my perspective. I need to begin that faith. If that is you, I want you to stand in this place so I can stand and pray with you right now. So if that is you, just stand right now where you're at. And we're going to believe God to do something right now in and through your life. And everyone in here, we got all different things that are going on in our lives right now. And again, we don't have time to go through every specific thing. But what I do believe is this, is that I'm going to agree with what God is doing and what he wants to do in your life. And so simply this, if you're willing, if you're able to, to hold your hands up, to lift your hand in a sign of of, of really receiving, but also in the sign of surrender to God. And here's what I want you to do. Whatever that thing is right now, begin to ask God. Be specific to God because specific prayers get specific answers. General ones get general answers. So whatever that thing is right now, ask him for it. Ask God for it. Be specific. Say, God, I need this. God, I am believing for this. God, I've lost hope in you. God, I've struggled with you. God, I don't know if I believe anymore. God, restore me back to my faith that I once had. God, please do that. God, I need healing. God, I need a healing right now. God, I need emotional healing right now. God, anxiety and depression is kicking my tail. And God, I need for you to show up. I need for you to come in the midst of this valley that I'm in of darkness where I'm stalked at night. God, I need for you to show up. And God, I'm going to believe that you're going to show up is because you said you will never leave us nor forsake us, God. In the mountaintops or in the valleys, you are there. Father God, we are believing right now in the name of Jesus that God, even this week, that there'll be answered prayers, God. Answered prayers. God, you say, ask and we shall receive if it's according to your will. So everything that's in this place that people are asking for that's according to your will, let it be done. God, let us see the evidence of it, God. God, we hold you to your word. You are not a liar. And so, God, you answer the prayers of your saints, Lord God. And so, God, what we are believing for, what we're praying for, that we will see this happen, God. And, God, I pray over this church body and this church community. God, I am praying to expand the tent pegs of this place. God, I am praying in this city for you to begin to open up doors. I am praying, Lord Jesus, for the right places, the right partnerships. But, God, fill this place. Fill this place with people. God, multiple services, Lord Jesus, that this place would have to have. God, disciples being made in this place. People being launched to the world. God, we are believing for it. So, Father, we love you and we honor you. We can ask these things. We can believe these things. We can do these things simply because you, Jesus, suffered and died, but you rose from death, proving yourself to be God, and you say this in your word, all authority has been given to me. So, therefore, go. That same authority that rests on you is now in us because you live in us. And so, God, we will leave and we will walk in this place in a different way. 
We love you and we honor you. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for having me today.